It's either Plato or Socrates, and I know that there's like debate online about this, but unexamined life is a life not worth living. Making sure that, and not only for this, but for everything, it's making sure that you're you're examining your choices because you know that those choices aren't just going to have that one thing that you're looking for. They have these unintended consequences. So, Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Discover More, where we strive to accelerate the learning process together through intentional dialogues. My name is Benoit. And my name is Aiden. This podcast was built on the foundation of approachable guests, synthesized experiences, and relatable lessons that will help you grow throughout your journey. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoy and continue to discover more. Yeah, uh, really, really well articulated, Jorge. Uh, thanks for sharing. And I really like to highlight the notion that you talked about with unintended consequences. I think every decision you make, you're going to have some intended consequences that's within the realm of your consciousness that you're aware of. But there's also a lot of extensive unintended consequences, potentially so. So with that being said, I know you are one of the very few collectives you're a rare breed in this 2020 that your social media dark, right? You've never had an Instagram. You're very inactive on a Facebook. I don't know too much about Twitter, but I'm assuming you don't have one either. Don't have one. And obviously with the recent release of very famous documentary on Netflix, Social Dilemma, I think the implications and the usage and more importantly, the unintended consequences of social media has been surfacing in a lot of people's minds. So yeah, I like to inquire why your social media dark, why you chose to be this exotic breed that's not very common nowadays. And secondly, just about some of the potential unintended consequences that you see from even a logistical or business perspective from having social media or everything in between. Yeah, I think first of all, it's the reason I don't have a social media. I don't have a Twitter, I don't have an Instagram. I do have a Facebook. Before Instagram was way too big, uh, on Facebook, I tended to just like scroll through and like kindly, mindlessly scroll through and have a little bit of this FOMO that you get when you're like, you're seeing your other friends doing stuff that you're not part of. And then, or having people that not necessarily your friends, but like people like a little bit far, you doing cool stuff where you're like just in your bed or whatever, just scrolling through your phone. So it's that comparing yourself to others bit, comparing your probably, when you're on your phone, you're not necessarily doing something like exotic or fun. So you're, you're not at your best spot comparing to other people who are posting about these things who are posting their their best spots in their life. So that whole thing, it just like, like obviously you a bad feeling of that FOMO comes in. So I, I didn't want to keep doing that. So like I, I have my Facebook, I do it for like, and I check it every now and then for like events, seeing who's people's birthday, because I'm not very good at remembering that. Uh, but other than that, I, I kind of stick to like direct messages, WhatsApp and stuff like that to talk either to groups of friends or to like friends specifically. Because I think like with social media, you're a little bit of a, of a facade, a little bit of a persona you put on in social media in order to the show to the world. And that's not necessarily who you are always. There's a bit of both you in each. But it's not necessarily, it's a curated version of it. So I don't know, I didn't want to be part of that. I, I don't really care that much about those things. So the people that I do want to talk to, I talk to. Like I'll reach out to them, again, groups or individually. Um, but other than that, I don't want to waste my time kind of like mindlessly scrolling and then having that like negative feeling too when you're scrolling. You're like, oh shit, 
like these things these people are having such better time than I am so that's that's why I didn't want to do it yeah with the bit about the unintended consequences obviously it's been more in the limelight now with the Cambridge Analytical thing with that documentary social dilemma I haven't seen it I've, I've heard it's really good and I've heard it's it's eye-opening and a little bit depressing because it shows you something that you a lot of people weren't thinking about didn't didn't really uh, give it much thought it's the yeah, you want you want to have Instagram, you want to have Facebook, you want to have these things that you think are just it's new, it's shiny, everybody's on it, so it's good to be part of. But you don't think about like yeah, you're also like giving away all this information about yourself. I mean, with like I know this isn't necessarily social media, but with Amazon, everything that you buy on Amazon, it goes into like a database, and they use that database to then give you other products that you didn't think you needed or you think you wanted. But now they're recommending it to you. And as soon as you see it, you're like, oh, I actually do want this. So you buy it. So it's how they're manipulating you with that data that you're providing them. Uh, with you, just, you're just saying, yeah, I want to be part of it. You're not really reading about all this. But they are using all this data to then manipulate you. Maybe a little bit of a harsher topic with the manipulation with, with like Facebook where you know that I think they target specifically like middle of the aisle people like they're not really like they have some of these more conservative as well as more of these liberal views and they try to target the people because they're vulnerable to being swayed one way or the other. So they'll have they'll show more articles, they'll show more posts, they'll show more influencers that will push them one way or the other. And I think that's like I guess it's something that it's true. They're using your own information to sway you one way or the other. But it's not really being done in a truthful way because you're not really aware of it. It's on a subconscious level. It's they're influencing you without you knowing that they're influencing you, and it's it's a little shady. It's a little bit like uh, it's a little bit like 1984, like Big Brother. Not not in terms that they're watching because they definitely are, but it's also that they're also like influencing what you think about and how you think. That's the definitely the negative part that to me outweighs the positive of the social aspect of all these social media sites. Definitely. I think that's a really important distinction. Personally, I'm okay with them giving me better, more aligned products. Like if it's just on a shopping perspective, I'm pretty open about what my data looks like, what I would prefer. Like I'd rather have the perfect pairs of shoes added to me or recommended to me than taking an hour to online shop for shoes. But really the distinction comes that you mentioned of like swaying beliefs, I think is like very hazardous in the long term because like the tech companies ultimately become more powerful than the government, than the people actually in charge. Because if they're ultimately influencing what people are thinking about, I think that just becomes very hazardous. Like you mentioned, 1984-esque. So there's definitely like two sides of the coin of yes, but to what ends, right? Yes, yeah, data could be a problem, but I'm kind of an open book. I'm not super mad that the government knows where I live or what I like to buy, but what I believe and what I value and how those things shift with what's advertised, I think is a problem that everybody should be looking at. So I still haven't watched the Netflix documentary. I'm sure that's gonna be tremendously eye-opening. But yeah, it's just a tricky situation kind of thing of being conscious about it, but still I you know, do value that connection that you can have over a phone. Obviously it's not the best form of connection or communication. I'd much rather go spend time and have a conversation with you guys in the room today, but it also allows me to message and interact with people on the other side of the world that I might not have had the opportunity to before. I think what you said with the products, yeah, 100%, like there's always a positive to these things for sure. And I think the thing is being conscious of what the negatives are and then making that like distinction. It sounds like you you know that these, these products are being used and what you're clicking through is influencing 
the product that you're going to get next and you're okay with them giving you the best shoot for that. But I don't think a lot of people know that and being aware of it, I think, is the, is the big thing. Not just mindlessly getting that new app, getting into Instagram when it was like, what, 2010? Well, it never Something happened. Like that, yeah. But not mindlessly coming on, but like thinking about like, all right, I'm going to come on. But what are the possible consequences that could come on later on in time? And I think being aware of those and giving that a little bit of time to think about whether it's worth it. I think that's important. Definitely. And I think another unintended consequence of all this is like dopamine fatigue and distraction, right? So if you're getting a hundred likes on your post that you just made, that's going to like numb you to the dopamine of like getting something done and checking it off your to-do list. Like I think people are becoming desensitized to actual accomplishments in real life based on their accomplishments on social media, which is super dangerous because then people do less in real life and focusing more on like what you said, their avatar of a online personality. So I think that's definitely something to look at. And then the distraction piece, like imagine trying to do your consulting job if you're getting like push notifications nonstop, like there's just no ability to focus when there's constantly that influx of advertisements, of notifications. And it's all designed that way. It's designed to give you that dopamine hit so you go back and like engage with whatever just happened. So there's really like so many different angles to it and both from a distraction, a performance standpoint, but really just at least awareness around those things I think is a good first step. Yeah, I like to acknowledge what you just said, Aiden. That's actually pretty deep. I never thought about that way. But I think that's a reason why whether it's serotonin, endorphins, dopamine, there's definitely like a finite amount. And that's the reason why for a lot of adrenaline junkies, they have to constantly chase after the next high. Because after once they've accustomed to the normalized a certain experience, it's no longer enough. If you've gone skydiving 40 times, you're gonna be doing some extreme paragliding or free diving or base diving. So I think definitely just talk about the potential toxic elements of social media. But what I hear from both of your conversation is A, the danger of biases. Even more so is the subconscious and unknowing biases because if you don't have the idea and the concept of mindfulness, which is what you alluded to, that you're not mindful of the potential negatives, you're not mindful of the potential consequences of social media, and you're only subscribing to the upsides, the, the glory, the rosy picture that we spoke to earlier, then you're going to have these biases that you're completely unaware of which is fundamentally influence your decision-making on a daily basis. In the long term, that consequences could be devastating, especially what Aiden talked about with these dopamine fatigue. You're right, you might be entirely missing on the net positives of life, the actual experience versus the likes or the statues or the quick highs from social media. And I think that also talks about the idea that a lot of people, I definitely fall into this where I always say I'm an Instagram food blocker and I always subscribe to the idea of camera eats first because I, I genuinely love pictures and I do think it's one of the most effective ways to retain memories. But at the same time, I definitely have the tendencies to care more for the pictures and the facade versus the extra experience. Because when you are ascending or climbing onto a summit, right, you can either choose to take in the moment and enjoy the view. I think Aiden's more on that spectrum versus I am. I will definitely first pull out my camera and take a picture and try to capture the summit versus taking a moment to take it in. So I do definitely think there's upsides and downsides to every single thing, just like the nuances of all, including social media. So yeah, super appreciative of the conversations and the insights. Yeah. I mean, and I think also with these social medias and this is 
I'm going to paraphrase it, and it's not an original Jorge thought, but it's social media has made us less sociable when we're like with physical people. Like you said with the Bean Rush. I mean, I think we've been about this fantastic today. I love this. I have friends who have their uh, Apple Watch and every time it rings, we'll be mid-conversation. They either I'll be saying something to them or they'll be saying something to me and they'll stop and check their phone or check their watch for a message because they got a buzz. That's one of the things that like you're interrupting a physical encounter. You're interrupting. Attend to that message right there. And like, yes, it could have waited a little bit more. Maybe there's a little bit of a junkie mentality where it's like, all right, I got to check. What is this that you have to know? And it takes you out of that moment. It takes you out of that deep conversation where you're like, you're having a moment. You're really like gelling with somebody and they check their phone or they check their watch to see what's happening. It's, it's one of these things that, yes, it's making us more sociable with other people, but it's always with people on your phone. They're not that physical and it's when that physical thing when the physical experience is hampered by the technological the social media i think that's the negative also with the phone dude i don't want to attack you but i have a aunt who takes pictures all the time and we're like at like family gatherings and stuff and like we're having conversations she's like oh picture 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 it's the same in the social media sense that it's like you're breaking up a moment we were com- we we're having a conversation and you're pulling out that phone for us to recreate something just take the picture or don't take the picture and let's just revel in the moment and it's like these things that that break up physical good moments that we have in order to get that picture to post on social media or check whatever's happening to your friend that you weren't thinking about until you saw that picture of him. I can't agree more. I mean, it's really the moment of a text message or a notification is always going to be there. Whether you check it in three seconds or three hours, it's going to be the same moment of you reading it and responding. But the moment of a physical interaction or a experience that you see for the first time isn't going to come back. I really like to allude to the idea of like musical shows and festivals when it comes to this, because I went to my first concert in 2008. I went to see Vampire Weekend as an eighth grader, and it was literally nobody with phones, like maybe an occasional snap a picture, but no like Snapchat feeds of every time a good song comes on. Much less when I went to Firefly last year, every person was just, you know, you almost can't see the stage because there's so many phones in the air. And that, I think, detracts from the entire experience because part of live music is being there in the present, surrounded by a thousand other people that are also in the flow of that moment. And like you said, a picture, a text message, a look down at your watch takes you out of that flow. So it almost like disrupts the entire vibe of the experience as a whole because of the constant distraction. Yeah. And one of the things, I mean, because we've been talking about like solution oriented kind of discussion of acknowledging the problem, we've talked about the problem of social media. I'm curious for you guys' thoughts on solutions. Two of the ones that I've been trying to practice are the idea of no consumption before like 10 a.m. So just like really setting and grounding myself in the real things before consuming any kind of Instagram. Because I've even noticed... You know, you'll wake up, check Instagram first thing. That day is hands down less productive, less inspiring, just like set into comparison syndrome like you alluded to earlier of, oh, this person's in the Bahamas and I'm going to work today. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's just the tough hump to get over first thing when you wake up. But then the other like, I guess, reframe that I did was creation, not consumption. So that's really came into being with producing for this podcast, writing all the content I learn a lot more about myself while writing and learn about like what messages resonate with other people and trying to create rather than consume I've found super valuable because I think consumption is hazardous because it's comparing and whatnot, but you're not actually learning. But the creation process, 
you know, kind of spark some joy. You can like have that process of putting together words, conveying a message. So that reframe of consumption to creation allows me to use Instagram in a healthy manner or improves the healthy relationship I have. It's certainly not there. I've, you know, sometimes get stuck in an Instagram wormhole that you realize you've been there for 30 minutes, but at the same time, focusing on the creation I've found super valuable. So do you guys have thoughts around those ideas or other potential solutions? Yeah, so that doesn't apply to me because I'm always living my best life. <laughs> so, so other people are the ones envious of my experience. But all jokes aside, I'll be super brief with the answer here. And I think it is important for us to clarify for the collective people like you who share that similar mindset that you are mindful of the upsets and the downsides. And you have a very set specific priorities that you prioritize. And for you, you're simply aware of the potential negative consequences. And for you, there is more joy and there is a surplus by not using social media. Whereas people like me personally, uh, I don't really get that comparison syndrome too often. But of course, I am working and the traverse possibility has been limited due to COVID complications. So I definitely fall into that just like everyone else. But to me, because I am aware of the type of person I am and I'm mindful of these consequences, and to me, I simply have more upside than downside of the social media usage. Therefore, I am a user. At the end of the day, it comes down to what our previous guest, Maleki, alluded to. You have to know who you are. You have to know what you like, what you dislike, what's suitable for your situations, what is not suitable for your situations. And at the end of the day, change something that's disservicing you to make sure because you want to make sure it services your experience. And for you, social media does more disservice than service from what it sounds like. And to me, social media does more service than disservice. So I think it comes down to the acceptance of the type of person you are and what you're going to do to make sure whatever you do is going to suit you at the end of the day. I mean, I 100% agree. I think I like that you put that in the format of you've recognized that you have more upsides than downsides, but you do recognize that there are some downsides to it, but they are being outweighed. And I think that's the right way to do it. It's not, I'm me and I know other people are going to think differently about this, but I think that everybody should at least consider what the negative would be, what the not using social media would look like, and then see if that is something suitable for them. For you, what you were talking about of how, like creating instead of just consuming, I think 100% because that's, I've said it, mindless consumption. It's with the mindless consumption, you're just looking through things, not really thinking about anything with the creation. You're, you're still consuming, you're still looking at these things, but you're giving that analytical look as well. You're analyzing what you're looking at a little bit and then creating based upon that. So, I mean, I think there's healthy ways of doing this. When you are just looking at stuff to look at stuff, it kind of, I don't know that it's, it's the best method of doing this. Yeah, certainly. And I think it really, a lot of the things that you guys have mentioned comes full circle with the idea of data versus experience, right? So as much data as comes out of the hazards of social media, the benefits of social media, really like Ben alluded to and you echoed, it's specific from person to person, from circumstance to circumstance. I mean, I've personally done like a two week social media detox of just all the apps off the phone, just kind of try and reset with the intention of you know, I knew what role it was playing on my life and trying to reverse that out. So as much as you could see other people's perspectives of whether it's bad, whether it's good, what the positives and negatives are, that still comes down to a case by case, not just person to person, but like what's going on in that person's life? How are they showing up? What's happening at work? Like there's just so many questions of what social media is doing for them at that time that I think 
really just talking about them and having the awareness around them, like you guys said, is pretty fundamental to effectively moving forward with it. And since we were talking about the constant distractions and notifications from Apple Watch, I like to talk about watches a little bit. So Jorge, as I know that you share a lot of passion for watches for a long time, ever since it, in, even in college, and obviously you have a little bit more affordability with your current income versus when you were a student in college. And I do understand and I realize that you've never had like a smart watch and all your watches tend to have some classical elements to it. So, and I don't know too much about watches, so I'd love to, for you to talk and dive into the topics of watches. Is it the mechanism and the gear and the science behind watches that fascinate you? Is it the materials? Is it the look? Just everything in between. Great segue, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't like Apple Watches. I don't like Fitbits. I was gifted a Fitbit for Christmas and I turned it back. I was like, this is, a, this is never what I want. So yeah, I don't like, again, I don't like something that necessarily is going to be like tracking my every move. I don't like something that's going to be just giving me those notifications. I don't, that's not what I want. And this is definitely more old school. I like the mechanics behind a watch. So most of the watches that we all have, the watch that I have right now, it's a quartz powered watch, which there's a little battery there and that makes like the gears turn and the things tick. Mechanical watches have tons of gears in them that like they have teeth and they just like move into each other. And they have this system of like power reserve and there's so much that goes into it that it doesn't require a battery. You just wind the watch and it runs for 48, 72, I think 72 might be the most, but there's more. So it's the, the, the mechanics, the, the, a little bit of the engineering coming out there, the, the engineering behind it. A lot of the watches have like clear back where you're able to see all these gears. Yes, it's not necessary. Yes, it's superficial. It's, it's superfluous. But like they decorate the actual mechanics of the watch as well, and it's it's aesthetically beautiful as well as like functional to a point. There is no argument to be made about like mechanical watches being more functional. Obviously, it's better to have like something that you can switch quickly, something that's easier to make. It's it's just I like the mechanics of it. I like the beautiful design of them. It's not something that I can give a data. Looking at the data. Mechanical watches shouldn't exist. Looking at like functionality, yeah, like there's there's better ways to do this. Um, there's a bit actually for a moment there, mechanical watches almost didn't exist when like battery powered watches came out. So it was well, like one of these things that just like it's the love of the craft, the love of the mechanics, all of this. It's what's reborn. It so it's all feeling, it's all emotion that goes into the watch. If you're trying to make a logical argument for mechanical watches, you're going to lose every time. But there's just a feeling. And I, I don't know. I got into it when I was sometime in college. The, the only watches that I've gotten are... I haven't bought myself a watch yet. Uh, I got them two for my high school graduation and one for my college graduation. And those are the watches that I kind of wear all the time. I got one other one, like a, a used watch off of eBay, which... I shouldn't have bought because it, it was like really small and like it was nothing like it looked like in the pictures. Uh, but I haven't gotten anything since. But I'm looking for something there. I just haven't pulled the trigger yet. But yeah, it's one of these things that's like a hobby a little bit. People around me know about it too. So like I, my, my brother, he, uh, he started a new job. He's like, dude, I'm trying to get a watch. What should I get? And I like... Uh, we had a couple of talks where like, dude, look at this watch. Do you like this one? Like I knew enough about watches that I was able to guide them a little bit. And I love that. I have other friends too that have been like, oh, I'm trying to get a watch. 
what should I get? So they, they like, they kind of know those that don't know much about watches know that they're like, all right, I'm going to talk to him because he knows a little bit more. Those who do know it's nice when you like, you see somebody in the street and you recognize some of the watch that they have and you just have a little bit of a conversation. It's again, like we were talking about the, at the beginning, it's like, you're breaking the ice with this little thing you have in common. You know that they know the watch that they're wearing and you just talk about it a little bit. It's fun. You guys have some sort of like similar interest there. So it's, it's one of these things that I can't, I can't logically tell you why, but I, just, I like it. I mean, some of the most beautiful things don't need logic, right? Like same idea of a painting. Why have a painting when you can take a picture or design something on a computer, but it's really like the logic aside, kind of like the emotion of the art form. So like watches as an art form, painting, music, like it's all the aesthetic beauty of it, which I think makes it unique and really special from one piece to another. Uh, you mentioned that people come to you for like watch recommendations. I'm not asking for watch recommendations, <laughs> but like what sticks out? Like what do you consider? Is it like specific brands, specific aesthetics? Like what goes into deciding what makes a good watch kind of deal? Yeah. I mean, there's always, and there's going to be bias in what I have because like, I don't know, you, you like something more than others. Um, more than anything, it's like, how much are you trying to pay? What types of watches do you like? You can have like a square watch. You can have a circular watch. There's a lot like triangle. There's, there's weird shapes as well. What type of watch are you looking for? Like, are you looking for something more sporty, uh, something more elegant, something in between? And then the last thing, and I think that's the one thing that I didn't learn about with a watch that I had prior to this one, the dimensions of the watch. How thick do you really want that watch to be? How big do you want like the face of the watch to be? Cause that's like, that's, if this is gonna be on your wrist, it's gonna be in the way if it's too big. Some people don't care about that, other people do. So it's having those things and based on that, you kind of like, all right, I'll give you a couple options. Do you kind of like this one? And you kind of go from there. But yeah, I hear you based on, I mean, your experience with buying one on eBay, I did something similar. So maybe don't buy watches online without seeing it. Cause that's a huge thing. Like it was just so big that I like felt like I couldn't move my arm. It was like almost having a weight on my wrist the entire time, which no one wants to do that. I think know a lot about the watch before buying it online. There's a, uh, yes, you don't know what it feels like on your wrist until you know some, you can get to a point where you kind of know, like I think 40 millimeters is kind of like. The, the, for the diameter of the watch, that's a normal, that's a normal size. So anything around there is good for thickness. Just know like kind of how thick it is and think about that. But yeah, definitely if you're going to buy something online and something like, like you said, like uh, there's an emotion bit to this. And if you're buying it online without really looking at it, it's, it's kind of hard to get that. So really make sure that you've at least seen the watch before. Maybe not that one that you're buying, but like something similar to it. So that you, you kind of get to it. But yeah, I'm glad I'm not. And I doubt that we're the only two that mm-hmm. have made Four choices <laughs> online on eBay. Mm-hmm. It sounds like your next consultant project should be with the watch company, you know, <laughs> truly get into the, the specifics of the uh, mechanics and the engineering behind it. Hey, man, that's, I, I've thought about that before. <laughs> I've, I've searched for something in there. Just maybe the, one day. The Bolivian watch company? Yeah. <laughs> that's your future legacy. Um, yeah, but jokes aside, so uh, what comes to my mind is like the vices, right? I think different people have different vices. Uh, you and I were similar because we're both minimalistic. Uh, I've been to your apartment many times, uh, even the old ones. And I guess for the level of portability that you have due to your job, prestige and all that, you don't have that many decors. You've been to my place, uh, a lot of people have. And the first thing they always comment is, wow, your apartment is very minimalistic and bare. And I'm not, minimalism is a choice. Sure, aside from the waste, aside from the sustainable aspect, which I'm very passionate about, I like the aesthetics and I appreciate the aesthetics. 
but I generally I'm not gravitating towards a lot of fluff and a lot of decors. Uh, it's both my nature and my nurture. I can't really tell you why. It could be just my genetic cause. Actually, no, it's definitely not nurture because my mom, she uh, she she had like four different closet rooms. She had like watches, necklaces, clothes. So it's definitely not nurture. So I think it's more of a genetical influence that I have. But in your case, I think uh, some vices could have more values than the others in terms of like financially speaking, right? And watches, as we know, if you pick a really good brand such as Rolex, uh, the name goes on. They don't depreciate and they're like wine. They age, the better you collect them, the more volumes it amounts to versus like cars, a lot of other seemingly superficial vices. You actually lose money with your hobbies. And since you do view collecting and the ownership of watches as a hobby of yours, I do think it's also um, worth for people to consider that there is definitely some financial upsides as well. If you're very deliberate with your process, and everything you speak to also reminds me about the idea of delicacy and deliberation, right? You appreciate the beauty and the engineering of the watches because how delicate and deliberate the process is. I own a numerous skeleton watches. Mm-hmm. They're automatic. You don't need batteries. Uh, you see the gears and the turns. Even though I'm not a, a watch virtuoso like you are, <laughs> I definitely do appreciate the aesthetics. And uh, I think the, the mechanics are fascinating. I do appreciate the um, what comes with like a really nice watch, and it's always a good gift for men. I wear a bracelet. Uh, aside from that, I don't really wear anything else. I've never seen a fellow guy and girls, of course, when they receive a really really nice watch. You can see the care, the intention behind it. I've never seen a person displeased with a nice watch gift. So yeah, for sure. Um, I do want to emphasize what you said with the being deliberate when buying a watch. There's watches that you can buy that could depreciate. But if you know, like, there's there's certain ones that have skyrocketed in price. So buying it as, a, as like, an investment, you might not see, like, the huge, like, the huge returns that you would expect on all watches. There are a couple that, like, they've been classics. And, like, if you buy one, like, a 1950s Rolex, Rolex Submariner, those usually, like, they could cost more now than they did back then. Especially if they're like in, in good condition and they haven't like worn, worn off. There's a there's this thing called patina. It's when you know like when like things get old, they tend to like change color a little bit. So that's the patina that you have on like the face of the watch. So that commands a premium as long as all the things about the watch are also in good shape. So if you have all these things, yes, the the the, the price of the watch could go way up. But for the most part, you gotta don't think about it just as an investment because you're kind of like. It's a little bit like picking stocks where you have, you could, you could pick something and lose money, but the downside is, is way bigger. Like they're just, you just have much less information and it could be that this never turns profit for you. And you also can't quantify or put a price on your emotional investment, yeah. right? Because uh, what I was speaking is more of like, don't buy a watch or any vice in particular for the sake of investment and trying to expect a huge ROI, but more about like what truly makes you happy because I think especially with social media, with how hyper-exposed it is in terms of everyone's vices, lifestyle, like the clout chaser, quote-unquote, a lot of people, especially for men, I think who are who make a lot more ego-driven decisions for the sake of ego, uh, we tend to subscribe and purchase items that make us to curate this persona to show that, oh, we're in particular social statue because of X, Y, and Z things I own. That's, I'm definitely hugely against that. I think all of us are against that. But like, you know, you can't only have virtues, right? Like Aristotle's like virtues and vice, they're both part of life. 
So I think it's important to be deliberate in your selection to truly choose something that's going to have the maximum emotional ROI, that something truly makes you happy. And like, since this is an audio only format, I just want to describe that when you were talking about watches, I could see the passion, I could see the enthusiasm, your volume spiked. Um, so no, because that's how you know you're truly passionate and then that vice of yours and the hobby of yours truly feeds you the positive energy, which I think what vices are for. Yeah. So with all that being said, um, with the vices, I think one of the more prevalent vices that we're all aware of is technology. The smartest iPhone, especially Apple, you know, shout out to Apple. I own a lot of stocks in there, so I hope you guys are doing well. Um, but like with Apple watches, the newest iPhone, the release of iPhone 12 is around the corner sometime in mid-October. Mid and I definitely felt, I, I definitely was a prey to this phenomenon that when I was in high school, I always got the newest iPhone. You have the iPhone 4 for the longest time. <laughs> It was like a, it was like a seeing an ancient relic in person. I've never seen anyone else still have an iPhone four. I think a year ago, right? Pretty recent. I think it was the iPhone five. Five. But yeah. I, I was like, wow, this is a tiny phone compared to all these large four point eight screen, five point two screens. So I know you always share the belief that whatever is functional, it's functional, and you never purchase things for the sake of purchasing things. But many of us and many of our generation, especially Gen Z, definitely fell into prey of that because as we have talked about with social media, it is a platform to precisely showcase the best parts and the best bits of your life and super carefully curated. So um, I love to talk about the engineering aspect and the unintended consequences of what comes with and what are the implications that are attached to the development. And every time you get a new iPhone, you're throwing away the old phone, which is completely functional, which is a waste and, and more. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, and I think it, it kind of ties into the uh, to what we were talking about with the social media. Having the new phone for having the new phone's sake is what a lot of people think about. They're like, "All right, this has a slightly better camera. My phone is already a year old or whatever, a couple months old, so I want to get the new thing." And they don't really think about what are these other things that are coming in to me getting that new phone. Why am I getting rid of a, a phone that works completely fine? probably better than most phones people have in a lot of the world. Again, having the latest iPhone is certainly a thing of privilege. Examining the purchase that you want to make and making sure that you're, you're weighing out both the positive and the negative of that new purchase. It's either Plato or Socrates, and I know that there's like debate online about this, but unexamined life is a life not worth living. Making sure that, and not only for this, but for everything, it's making sure that you're you're examining your choices because you know that those choices aren't just going to have that one thing that you're looking for. They have these unintended consequences. So also with the with the phones, like you buy the new phone, but you're not really thinking about what happened before it, what like how it was made the whole. I mean, there's like cobalt in order to that goes into all phones. There's like I think it's in the Congo that they, they mine it. And there's a huge war zone around the cobalt. A lot of people are dying because they're trying to mine this this mineral that's essential for all iPhones. It's a finite product, but you don't really think about that when you're buying that new phone. You're just thinking about, oh, it's a new camera. It's a new it's better processing, whatever that is. However minimal the incremental step is, you, you want the new thing. So I think knowing about these things which sometimes, yeah, Apple's not going to go ahead and say, yeah, we, we, we went into the Congo and this is this has happened because it's, it's bad for them too. But getting yourself educated on these things, talking to other people and really going, thinking about what goes into that new phone. 
before you make that purchase. Right now, I have like an iPhone 6, and yeah, like, like you just did minutes before, a bunch of my friends make fun of me, like, dude, what is this ancient fossil? Why are you still using this? And it's, it's a phone that still works. Sometimes the battery isn't the best, but I mean, right now during COVID, I'm pretty much home all the time. So like I can charge and I can plug in anytime I want. So it's not something that, that, that bothers me. I, I do know that I, at some point I will need to get a new uh, phone. It's not something pressing. It's if, when it happens, it happens. I want to make sure that this phone, because of all that went into it with the materials, with the shipping costs and all that stuff, um, there's a carbon footprint that goes with it. And I want to make sure that it extends to its full life before it's being thrown out to something else. Uh, there's people that have like cupboards or drawers full of like ancient technology that still works, but they're just like sitting there. Um, and just thinking about like, yeah, even if it's not there, if you're throwing out it to the landfill, I mean, the landfill, it's not, the product isn't going anywhere. It's just going to be sitting there. So give your product its full life. When you're buying it, make sure that you buy something you want, you're going to want for a long time. And then use it for that long time before really getting to the new thing. Is that new camera really that much that worth it? Maybe, maybe if you're like a professional photographer, like a vlog or something, yes, it is worth it. And you need the newest camera. Make that examination. Do that, do that analysis. Yeah. Really the awareness is the first step of it, which it's a really interesting perspective around technology, but really using self-awareness as like a bridge for what elements are important to me in the technological decision. It's like the saying of if something isn't broke, don't fix it, which, you know, you're saying of if it's functional, it's functional. It still works at the end of the day. Like personally, the entire back of my iPhone is completely shattered, which I don't love, but there's a case on it and the front is still completely functional. So I'm not going to get a new one. Like maybe it was like an unconscious. I wasn't necessarily thinking about the cobalt in the Congo of why I'm not going to get a new iPhone, but it's, it works fine. I don't need to spend every day on it, you know? So that's a really unique perspective. And one of the things that you mentioned is the environmental impacts of technology. I guess in my experience, and I think what's being talked about most is the environmental impacts of energy, you know, fossil fuels, the obvious contenders that are causing climate change, but I hadn't really considered technology in the role. So could you kind of unpack that a little bit, just your thoughts around climate change, technology's role, kind of problems we're facing and potential ways around it? Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't think it's just technology, but definitely technology, like physical goods are always going to have an impact in in the world. Um, You're going to have a lot of energy in order to mold something into the shape that you want a lot of energy to mine the metals or whatever products that you have in those in, in that thing. And then there's the the freighting around again with supply chains. You're freighting around materials from all different places and that's that has a carbon impact. So the mere fact that something is being built isn't just the physical good that you're getting, it's all the work that goes in it as well. So all these things that you're putting in to a product are having a negative impact on the world. I think there is, you need to do some of this because yes, some products we do need and they, we need them in order to like survive. But do you need that next iPhone? Not really. So that's where I go into this, um, where I don't think that you, you should always look for the next thing. Even I think with technology, there's a little bit of something that I need to like do more research into, but it's us getting servers to like go on the internet. These servers are creating a huge amount of like heat you're heating up the the world and you're also polluting it because you need to have energy to like have these servers run. When when we had like a little bit of the Bitcoin craze, I mm. think there were like servers, some of their servers were in Iceland, I think. Yeah. And there was like a huge spike in uh, the, the levels of pollution and in the temperature 
over there because the server's working overtime just trying to process all the data that goes around like uh, mining. So I think a lot of that. Other than that, I think there's also like, yeah, technology, like it's relatively new and you can talk about that too. But I think there's also like in what we eat that has an impact on the planet because there's been like multiple studies where the methane of cows farts and shit creates providers of uh, greenhouse gases. So it's one of these things that like, it's not just technology. It's not just your eating. It's not just your transportation. There's all these things that you're doing that together you can try to fix each in a little bit in order to have a better impact. And it's tough. And obviously I, I talk about this with my friends and a lot of them say like, dude, who cares? I'm a pescatarian. Who chooses if you choose not to eat meat? In the end, that cow still lives. Somebody else is going to eat it. But it's it's having that, again, being intentional about what you're doing, telling people about it so that they know about it as well. And then from there, kind of just living your life based on what you think is correct, not just what you think is going to make an impact, but what you think is correct because you need some accountability in that, I think. Yeah, definitely. It's like the idea of alignment and even voting with your dollar, right? Like what you're putting money to ultimately as a capitalistic society, the customer decides what's going to sell well. And if people all demanded better quality vegetables or meat that's grass fed and sustainably raised, that would indicate more farms have to gravitate towards that. But I think there's some absurd rules that like broccoli, asparagus, like any like high-end vegetable are considered like specialty crops that basically have to pay it's either a higher tax or it isn't subsidized by the government i can't specifically say but in either case what if the government subsidized healthy vegetables rather than wheat corn and soy Um, i just think that there's numerous approaches to that like it's awesome that you guys both do pescatarian because it's really voting for environmentalism just through food you know whatever the vehicle is it's that value and i know that's something that you guys both have in common you guys want to speak to it a little bit yeah and then i think what all we're talking about is the complexity of everything right and that's what makes policy so tricky that's what makes politics at times super convoluted and just complex because it's not one decision has an influence and an outcome it's every decision you make as a collective that has a huge impact both in a positive and a negative way so yeah i think it's extremely complex and yeah like your friends are i have many friends like that right i've been um, i mean i cheat um technically i'm flexitarian because for christmas if my mom for her birthday or whatever wants to have korean barbecue as a korean i'm not going to say no because i love meat people think i don't like no i love meat as much as everyone else i think that's that's <laughs> a big thing that people tell me too and i have heard them say to you like yeah obviously we love meat and I, I cheat a little bit sometimes too but yeah it's it's delicious but we're making like we know that we don't want to we don't want to make a negative impact on the planet and that's what we do yeah sorry so no so it's a sacrificial act so yeah on that note i think it's also when you're doing something altruistic, when you're doing something that's going to create a net positive impact in this world, a lot of times it's also beneficial to you. So for example, technology. Um, there's numerous studies shows that um, the Y chromosome that's going to determine and influence the biological outcome for a male is being severely affected by the radiation caused by the phones. So if you look at the birth rate worldwide, even for Kobe, a lot of world-class athletes with freak genetics Uh, they're gradually losing the ability to have a son. So the birth rates of a a woman has been skyrocketing compared to the guys because of a lot of technology influences on our our male genetics, the sperm count. Uh, That's another huge one. A lot of guys are losing the ability 
to produce healthy amount of sperms to penetrate through the egg to have a child because radiation also has detriments on our sperm count and a lot of the ability for guys. So um, that's why if you look at, I know Aiden has a pair of uh, Blu-ray glasses that he wears when he looks at the computer screens. Um, bad for your eyesight, it's bad for your brain chemistry. So there's a lot of detriments. And of course, just like everything we talked about, it's so complex and nuanced. And every single issue and every single thing, whether it's technology or social issues, has both ups and downsides. And it's very dangerous for us to subscribe to the single lens of what the product is. Technology is amazing, right? It's like we live in the most technologically advanced era, period. Humans have never been more advanced, period. We have, to a lot of degrees, we've cured uh, famishes that caused, we, we've cured the infection rate that killed more soldiers during World War One and World War Two than the actual battles. More soldiers died from the infection than the actual gun wounds. So we definitely came to an amazing place, but it's also because of that, technology and everything else that has so much upside is a double-edged sword. And I think it's very imperative for us to think about the both sides of the spectrum because usually truth always lies between. And yeah, hopefully with this conversation, uh, we can help encourage people and the listeners to do more examination of what are the vices, what are the virtues, what are the upsides, what are the downsides, but to have that multidisciplinary approach to look at every single thing. Yeah, really leaning into that discovery phase, kind of like you mentioned, always looking at both sides, trying to remove your own bias, wipe the slate clean, as you mentioned before, but also incorporating previous experiences and perspectives, I think is super valuable. And kind of in the same ethos, uh, one of the questions we always like to wrap up our guests with is if you had a mentorship program and could kind of construct an education program to people at, you know, age 20 to 25, what are some of the big pieces of advice or wisdom that you would like to leave them with? That's a good question. So, I mean, I think 20 to 25, you've already seen enough that you know enough about things so that you won't be hit hard by this next message, but it's, you don't know anything. There's so much of the world that you haven't seen and that you're going to be learning still. It's always going to be a learning experience. You're never going to be done with that. Now, I know like all you're always going to be learning is kind of like, bastardizing but yeah i think it's uh, there's there's some truth to it so i think always keep that open mind when you're looking at something new don't think you know something always make sure that you're you're looking at something something with an open mind you're trying to have that some of that baggage that you're carrying from before like it's going to always be part of you but try to really like be intentional about how it's affecting your thought process how it's affecting your actions within that and then the other thing and i think we've, we've talked about this all throughout the podcast too it's you live something where you're analyzing your thoughts. You're giving yourself the time to think about things. Um, one, of the, one of the things that I don't personally do all the time, but I do try to, it's a little bit about the phone too. It's like when you're bored, you kind of like, you're trying to find something to entertain you. So you'll reach for the phone, you'll turn on the TV or something like that. I try to, at least in the morning sometimes, just give myself time to think. So just like think about whatever, whatever thought comes in your mind going through it and like processing that thought, thinking about what it makes you think about, thinking about if it's an issue, like just giving yourself the time to process that. So I think those three things, I don't know what how specifically they go into my mentorship program, but I think those three would be like kind of like big pillars of it. Definitely, man. Super valuable. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for sharing, Jorge. Like above all, like all cliches are tropes, right? All cliches have a lot of truth in them. That's why they're cliches. Yeah. So I think that's a really, really meaningful and, and powerful message for people to examine their own biases, to think about thinking. That's critical thinking, right? 
which is what you're alluding to. So to conclude this episode, uh, we would like to ask you the question of since our whole ethos and the brand and the intention of this podcast is to discover more from the collective wisdom, from the collective experience, because at the end of the day, us as team humans have more similarities than disinterest. We have more alignments than misalignments. So you as the guest for this week's episode, uh, what is one thing in any field that you would like to ask the listeners to discover more about? And also, this is a challenge to you as well, is what's one thing that you'd like to discover more maybe this week moving forward? Yeah, I think we, we talked about this pretty heavily for a bit of time. I think the one thing that we have in this planet, and I think probably one of the biggest issues that it's not being addressed today, it's the issue with the environmental impact that we're having as humans on this world and the climate change that is coming as a result of that. So just learn more about what the things you're doing, how those things are impacting the world and see if you can in some way try to cut down on these things that you know are being negative impacts. Like be intentional about these things. I'm not saying don't stop eating meat if you love eating meat and stuff like that, but like make sure that you're like making yourself aware of these things. I think we have to give that more thought it's one of the things that I care about the most, and I think it's not giving the time, the, the light of day that it should be. I try to tell that to my friends all the time. So that's learn about learn about your our impact as humans on the environment and how to we can prevent that and like curb that a little bit. Discover more humanity. Discover more impact making opportunities, and to examine from within. This was such a pleasure and such fun having this wider range of conversations. And thanks for coming. Uh, thanks for spending your Saturday afternoon with us. And to all the listeners, as always, if you have made it to this far, we truly appreciate of your time and you listening to us. Till next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Discover More. We release a new episode every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And would really appreciate if you have subscribed and shared this with your friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode and join us next week in the journey of discovering more through intentional dialogues.